العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم وعلى آله وصحابه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين All praise due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be the last Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day. The Muslim youth of our times are in a state of crisis. Not only here in Malawi, but across the Muslim Ummah from Guyana in South America, Muslim youth. Muslim youth who were supposed to be the future of the Ummah. In the time of Prophet Muhammad the youth shone forth in the midst of the elders from among the Sahaba. Some of the big names that we hear, scholars of that generation, people like Abdullah ibn Umar, were youngsters with the Prophet Abdullah ibn Umar in fiqh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud also in fiqh, and Abdullah ibn Abbas in fiqh and especially in tafsir. Tafsir of the Quran. So much so that on one occasion when Umar ibn al-Khattab as the Khalifa, sitting with the senior Sahaba, insisted that Abdullah ibn Abbas sit amongst them. And they grumbled, why was this young teenager sitting amongst us elders? He asked them a question concerning one of the surahs of the Qur'an in terms of what they took and understood from it. Surah Ida Jaa Nasrullah Ibn Fatih. Surah Nasr. After asking the Sahaba, the leading Sahaba, what did they understand from it? Some were silent because they felt Omar ibn Khattab was about to make an example of them. And others spoke based on their knowledge the obvious meanings of the surah. And he then asked Ibn Abbas what was the significance of the surah. And Ibn Abbas, the surah was Allah informing the Prophet that his time had come. That his mission had reached its completion. And his death was near. And Omar al Khattab then affirmed, saying, That is what I knew from this surah. 
So Abdullah ibn Abbas was shown as a youth, in spite of his youth, to be the future of the Ummah. Because of the knowledge which he had gained from Rasulullah from being with him, being among the senior Sahaba, etc. Himself, there are others like him who had a major impact on what we know as Islam today. However, in our time, what we find are youths caught up in movements, destructive movements like Boko Haram, ISIS, Taliban, Southern Philippines, Abu Sayyaf, <coughs> groups who are distorting the image of Islam, who have taken a path other than that of Rasulullah and his Sahaba. They have taken a path of violence, destruction, murder, <coughs> massacre, in all of its possible forms. Known today for suicide bombing. This is the global image of the youth of Islam today. And that global image is put on Islam as a whole. They are the youth. They are the products. So, the source must be the same. This is the crisis that the Muslim world faces today with regards to our youth. Instead of being the leaders in knowledge, guiding the Ummah and the generation to come, they have become distorters of the image of Islam. Where did we go wrong? That is the question. Of course, the responsibility does fall on our shoulders. Perhaps a good portion of it has to do with how we have treated the time which Allah has given us. We have been so busy with the dunya, with this worldly accumulation, that we have lost sight of our purpose here and have not played the role that we were supposed to play in terms of directing the Ummah, the youth of the Ummah forward, to carry Islam <coughs> forward. So as Allah said, Al-Hakumun Takatum Hatta Zultumun Maqadir we have become so caught up in accumulation that we lost sight of our purpose. 
And of course, when the purpose becomes the dunya, the things of this world, then we have reached a wretched state. A state which the Prophet ﷺ described when he said, Dunya Mal'una, this world is cursed. Mal'unun Mafiha, and everything in it is cursed. For those who are addicted to it. For those who are addicted to this world and the trappings of this world. It is a curse. We see in it happiness, but we don't achieve happiness because the goodness has been removed from it. It is Madaruna. Except for, as the Prophet said, Illa Dikrullah. Except for the remembrance of Allah. Whatever helps us to remember Allah. The teacher and the student. Dhikrullah, which is blessed in this world, an exception made for it, whereby we cannot become too addicted to the remembrance of Allah. However, even this wonderful, life-changing habit has become distorted so that remembrance of Allah is reduced to repetition, blind repetition of words and sounds instead of reflection on Allah. And the scholar, the scholar is reduced to making students memorize the Qur'an and other areas of knowledge with a stick and the students don't see much benefit in it and are turned away in droves from the centers of Islamic learning even those who go abroad and study, they come back and they end up in South Africa, elsewhere, doing anything but what they should have come back and do. <coughs> this time which Allah has given us is precious. When He said, Well, awesome. swearing by time. And we are not allowed to swear by other than Allah. So when Allah swears by time, swears by His creation, 
he is giving it a special status. Telling us that this is critical. This time that we have is critical. All of us will be lost. That is the same as what the Prophet said about this world. Those whose time has been spent in the wrong areas made it lost, caused it to be lost, caused ourselves to be lost. Instead, we have guidance from Rasulullah which given 1,400 years ago was to preserve the Ummah on the correct path. To keep the Ummah from being deviated, splintered, degraded. When he told us that famous hadith which you've all heard at least a thousand times, Talabul ilmi farida ala Seeking knowledge is a religious obligation on every Muslim. When he gave us that statement, that command implied by that statement, he identified the solution to our problem today. Because the solution is not other than knowing Islam. Knowing the teachings of Islam not merely from a rote perspective where if you ask the young child what are the pillars of Islam they can tell you one, two, three, four, five. What are the pillars of Iman, faith? One, two, three, four, five, six. But these pillars have no impact on their lives. They have been memorized like a parrot. You can get a parrot to repeat the five pillars of Islam and the six pillars of Iman. But what benefit is it to the parrot? This is the state of the Ummah today. That what is being taught is not taught with understanding with reflection. Ramadan, the month of Qur'an, الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ هُدًا لِلنَّاسِ A source of guidance to humankind. But we read it like parrots. Those of us who know how to recite the Arabic text, we read it like parrots. And those who don't know how to recite the Arabic text, 
We are told there's no value in reciting it or reading it in English. Quran is in Arabic. So we're not even encouraged to read it. But the reality is that Allah Himself has told us in the Quran, Quran Will they not reflect on the meanings of the Quran? Or are their hearts locked up? This way of learning the Quran, where we understand the meaning, that was the way of the Sahaba. In seeking knowledge, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud had said, we used to learn the Quran 10 verses at a time. 10 verses at a time. And we would not go on to another 10 until we understood what was in those 10 and we had tried to apply it. We used to learn knowledge and its application simultaneously. So much so that another of the Sahaba said, the one who memorized Surah Al-Baqarah amongst us was called Hafil. He was given the title Hafil. They used to refer to him as Hafil. Who had learned Surah Al-Baqarah. Today, if you use the term Hafil for somebody who has not memorized the whole Quran, it is considered sacrilegious. How dare you call this man Hafil? Hafid is one who memorized the whole Quran from Fatiha to Nas. <coughs> to call anyone other than that Hafid is Audhu Billah. But that wasn't the understanding of the Sahaba. That wasn't the understanding of the Sahaba. When the Prophet died, the number of Sahaba who had memorized the whole Quran from Fatiha to Nas could be counted on two hands. <coughs> that was the reality. Because their concern was understanding. And because their concern was understanding, they applied. Of course, after the death of the Prophet, many of the Sahaba did memorize the whole Quran also. But the point is that at the time of the death of the Prophet they didn't understand that this was the goal. The goal was understanding the Qur'an and applying it. So, even the prophetic instruction, <laughs> The best of you are those who learn the Qur'an and teach it to others has become for us The best of you are those who memorize the Qur'an and make others memorize it. So we have missed out. Of course, memorizing the Qur'an is not easier than understanding it. If we say in Ramadan, here we are in Ramadan, Prophet Muhammad used to read the whole Quran during Ramadan. 
And of course, it was not complete until the last Ramadan of his life. If we are to say, read the Quran with understanding, maybe you won't get past Surah Al-Baqarah. If you read the Arabic and read the English or your local language, if it's been translated into your local language, so you read the Arabic, make sure you get the understanding along with it. You won't get through more than Baqarah. And you will feel sad. I didn't finish the Quran. But no. It is far better. No. It is far better for you to have read the Quran only through Al-Baqarah in Ramadan and understood it than to have gone through the whole Quran parroting the text of the Quran from Fatiha to Nas. That is the reality. That we have lost sight of. We are caught up in the external aspects because the external aspects are easy it's easier to do that than to understand and apply so it is not surprising that we have an educational crisis among the youth of the Ummah today a crisis which extends nationally to the 20,000 graduates that come out of high school this year, every year, for whom only 3.5 thousand actually find seats in university. The vast majority do not find seats. And this is not just the case of Malawi. I found that to be the same in the Gambia, in Nigeria, in Somalia, in Pakistan, in Malaysia, in Philippines. The same. So 80% of the youth coming out have no future. For us here in Malawi, it means they're heading for South Africa. In the Gambia, they're heading for Tunisia. Somalia, they're heading for Egypt, Libya, trying to get across the Mediterranean. And we reach, read about them every month, every week, 500. 800 drowned. Drowned. So much so that some have written to me in Facebook asking me if we try to get to Germany. They are from the east coast of Africa. If we try to get to Germany and we drown on the way, die. Will we die sinners or will we die martyrs? <laughs> Knowing that we are trying to get to Germany in order to earn more money to send back to our families back home. Will we die 
sinners, having killed ourselves, or will we die martyrs, striving for the sake of Allah and our families? <coughs> of course, I have to tell them, Allah told us in the Quran, Don't throw yourself into destructions with your own hands. It is forbidden. For you to put yourself in that situation, you can see all the way till you reach Libya, you see the ship there, it is just, you know, about to turn over and you're still going to climb on board. We have to say you have thrown yourself into destruction with your own hands. Yes, the Prophet did mention about people who died, buildings falling on them, stomach ailments, drowning, etc., fire that these people are martyrs. But these are not people who have thrown themselves into destruction with their own hands. So, knowledge of the deen is critical for the Ummah to move forward successfully and effectively. Alhamdulillah, in spite of all of these problems that we're faced with, and people can say, we are lost. The Ummah is dying. We're being overwhelmed. Reality, from my perspective, having traveled from Guyana to Mindanao, is that Islam is on the rise. Alhamdulillah. In spite of all that's out there in terms of distortion, media distortion of the image of Islam, Islam is under attack, etc. Know that this attack is a product of the awakening of the Ummah. <coughs> the awakening of the Ummah. <coughs> and I'm sure here in Malawi, if you compare the situation today to 25 years ago or 50 years ago, I'm sure you would say Islamically, we're far better off now. We're far better off. If we just look at today, we could say we are worse off. But if we look at with that passage of time, we can see that in fact the Ummah is far better off. Far more conscious of Islam. Far more effort to do something for the sake of Allah and uplift the Ummah. We find that across the world. And naturally, the forces that do not want us to awaken will try their utmost to keep us sleeping. They will try their utmost because they can only exploit our resources, human and material resources, if we are asleep. If we wake up, we're not going to tolerate exploitation as goes on today. We will say no. We can trade. And there's no harm with trade. But it must be fair trade. So the profits will dwindle. They will not be able to get the huge profits that they could have been getting for all these years since the time of colonization of the Muslim world. 
So they are very, very uh, aggressive in their media distortion of Islam. Very aggressive. So this that we are seeing today is actually a sign of health that remains in the Ummah. In spite of the other issues that we mentioned with regards to the youth, etc. There is a spark there that is beginning to burn. But we need to be a part of helping that Ummah rise. Not to be sitting on the sidelines and watching <laughs> the train go by. We have to play our role. We have to provide alternatives for our youth. To be properly educated, to know Islam themselves, and know the limits of what are required of them, and know what they need to do to have a clear vision as to what is ahead because when people ask me when you accepted Islam in 1972 and that's before many of you were born <laughs> when you accepted Islam what was the difference? before that I was a communist. Before that, I was a Christian. I joined communism in the belief that communism offered the solution to changing the world, to making the world a better place. Seeing capitalism in its ugliest, I thought, as it was presented to me, communism was the answer. After being a part of the communist movement in North America for some years, I came to realize it wasn't the answer. Communism wasn't the solution as it was presented to me. And when I found Islam finally, in its true form, because I had stumbled across Islam earlier in a distorted form, then I accepted it. So they asked me, what was the major difference between before Islam and after? I said to them, when I became a Muslim, then the way forward became clear to me. Siratul Mustaqeem. Siratul Mustaqeem. That straight path that we ask about every day. It was now clear. Before that, I was trying to do the right thing, but I wasn't sure. Was this right or was it not right? Let me try this, let me try that. So I was stumbling and bumbling along. Sometimes doing the wrong thing, sometimes doing the right thing. I didn't have clarity. It was cloudy ahead. Islam brought clarity. For our youth, they deserve to have this clarity. It is our responsibility to provide for them 
this clarity. Where they know where their head is. They know their responsibilities. So we need to provide for them that knowledge which Allah had His Messenger instruct us to gain. That obligatory knowledge. Which begins with knowledge of Allah. That's where it all begins. Knowing Allah. Knowing who is Allah. Then knowing who His Messenger is. Knowing this deed. Because at the end of this world, the three questions we'll be asked about will be Man Rabbuk, Ma Woman Who was your Lord? What was your religion? And who was the Prophet sent to you? Those are the three most important questions that we need to. So, we need to take some bold steps in order to provide proper education first and foremost to our youth proper education on one hand to those that are engaged in religious studies Arabic <coughs> local languages who after graduating from high school have no future as only a fraction, not 20%, but maybe 2% of those who graduate will find places in higher education, will get a scholarship to Medina or to Mecca or to Al Azhar or Uganda. I, 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 only a fraction, 2%. We need to provide higher education to that 98%. Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, that university about which I was introduced, the Islamic Online University, we are bringing to you that opportunity. Online education, which is the future for education for the world. Online education. Conventional universities as we know them today, they will disappear. Except for a few. Because no country of the countries of the world today, the major countries, are able to build sufficient campuses, physical campuses, to provide for that 80%. If they provide for the 80% over the next 20 years, by the time we finish providing for what was 80% today, it will not be considered provision for 80% 20 years from now. That number will have expanded. Not 20,000 graduates, but 60,000 graduates. So the only way forward is online education. Alhamdulillah, 
by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I was given the opportunity to set up that university. One of the first of its kind. Where our students can learn on a undergraduate, graduate level, Islamic studies, in English media, along with Arabic. So it isn't necessary to travel a quarter of the way around the world, which most would not be able to do anyway. You can study right here. Right here, in this city. Islamic studies without having to set foot on any plane or bus to leave and do it. In the Islamic Online University, the nature of online education is such that if every student who didn't have a place today here in this city decided they wanted to join the online university, we would say, Ahlan welcome. And you could all join today. Our servers can handle up to two million students. So it is no problem. But we do have other issues, issues of internet accessibility, costs involved, laptops, these types of things to be able to study. But we hope that with the support of the charitable organizations operating here in Malawi, that we will get the support to build, to establish centers, learning centers, where you our youth will be able to study and have free access to the internet, to the equipment necessary to complete this step, which will be far cheaper than building a university from the ground up and the cost involved for staff, maintenance, etc. It is the cheapest and I believe the best solution for our situation here today. And talking with the people from the Ministry of Education, the National Commission for Higher Education, they fully agree that this is the only solution. And we as Muslims should be in the forefront. We should be in the forefront. We should not wait until other communities step forward, establish, and then we come crawling in behind them. No. We should be in the forefront. This is something within our grasp. But it requires that we work together. It can't be a one-man show. It requires unity of the Ummah, unity of those 
who want good for the ummah to work together and make this happen. And in the fact that by providing this education, we protect ourselves from the rise of other extreme groups which are arising in other communities, the Shabab in Somalia, wreaking havoc, where Somalia is striving to get itself back on its feet. This is a beast tearing away at the body of the Ummah. Know that if we don't find a solution, it is only a matter of time before somebody rises amongst our youth here and provides or claims to provide a shortcut and youth will flock to him. And we have our own version here. And then of course the fingers of the Ummah of Malawi will point at us. Here they go now. Just as everywhere else, here they are. That's why Muslims are dangerous. Instead of making this effort and showing the Ummah of Malawi that Muslims are productive, they are striving to uplift the Ummah, we will be accused of destruction of the So, in concluding, we have a grave responsibility. This responsibility we cannot afford to look at lightly. Our future is threatened. If we don't take positive steps today, then we will reap the consequences tomorrow. We invite you from the Islamic Online University to cooperate with us and help us establish the alternative for the Ummah here to educate our youth because the Islamic Online University, though it is called the Islamic Online University, we do offer other subjects. We offer a degree in education, a bachelor's in education. Of course, it's a bachelor's from the Islamic College of Education. But it is education, fundamentally. Studying the areas of knowledge related to education and teaching, but not only from a conventional perspective, but also from an Islamic perspective. Because that's how we have to study. That's how we have to present everything. Even engineering, one might say. Engineering from an Islamic perspective, yes. Medicine from an Islamic perspective, yes. There is an Islamic perspective for everything. Islam governs everything. And we should know it. As we study, we learn, and we teach, we should know it. And we should teach according to it. 
So, we call upon you to join with us in this effort to make a difference for the future of the Ummah here in Malawi. And the Islamic Online University is not restricted only to Muslims. Non-Muslims are welcome to join also. We also offer a degree, a bachelor's degree in psychology. And one might ask, why psychology? Aren't there more important subjects there? But the reality is that if I were to ask here in Malawi, do we have a Muslim psychologist in the whole country? I think you might have to say no. There doesn't exist in the whole country a single Muslim psychologist. You know in America, the UK, Canada, no school is allowed to function, to set itself up and function without having a child psychologist. That is how important psychology is looked at. Because understanding the behavior of children is critical in their educational process. If you don't understand the behavior, many times, you know, parents will come to me, they're talking about the problems they're having with their kids, you know, and they say, oh, they're behaving like this, I think they, they, they're possessed. Can you please come and read over them for me? <laughs> no, no, brother, sister, it's not possession. That's how children all around the world behave at this age. There are common features. But if you don't understand it, then you misread it, you misunderstand it. Psychology is important. For marriage, how many marriages fall apart because there is no counseling? We don't have people to counsel the husband and the wife in how to deal with the problems that arise. We assume Sheikh so and so he just came up from Medina, graduated in Sharia. So let's go take our problem to him. Sheikh. But the Sheikh never studied psychology. He doesn't know how to counsel. Yes, he can tell you halal, haram. <laughs> but most of the problems that happen in, in families is not halal and haram. It's between, it's the gray areas between halal and haram. So, of course, being the sheikh, he has to tell you something. <laughs> so he tells you something which most of the time was not the right thing. Maybe after 20 years of telling you different somethings, he came to realize, oh, oh I should have said those things. <laughs> so finally, he becomes a wise sheikh. So now he's giving the right advice. But 20 years of devastation, he left in the ivy. We need psychology. And we also have a college of Islamic banking and finance where you learn conventional banking, what constitutes it, and then what is the Islamic approach, the alternative. 
Because that is a necessary step that the community has to take. If our dealings, our financial dealings are, are through the conventional banks, we are exposing ourselves to riba. Riba, which Allah said, Allah has taken all good out of riba. But we have become complacent today. <coughs> Shaitan did a trick on us. As he tricked Adam and Eve. When Allah told them, don't eat from this tree. He didn't name the tree. Satan came to them and named it. He said, he called it Shajaratul Khulat. The tree of eternal life. The tree of eternal life. Adam had never thought about dying. But once he was told that was the tree of eternal life, then consciousness of dying and now, who wants to die? You know, we want eternal life. To be like the angels. Yeah, I better eat from that tree. <laughs> Shaitan actually. Giving it a name, an attractive name. So similarly, interest before was known as usury. Usury. Not a very nice name. You know, when you use people. Not nice. So he called it interest. It's interesting. <laughs> it's in your interest to do it. He beautified it. So now we're dealing with it. Shaitan has crept in on us so many different angles, we can't even keep track of it. One of the simple angles that I've pointed out on different occasions, when the time comes to make iftar, and we dig into our biryani and our kalaw and everything else, eating away with our right hands, alhamdulillah, eat right hand. Now the time comes to take a drink. What do we do? Dirty right hand for me. Take the left hand. Now I take that glass in my left hand, but I'm not supposed to drink with my left hand. I know that. Okay. So I put my right hand up. Now drink. Here we are. The woman now is openly going against the clear command of the most basic of eating in Islam when he said don't eat drink with your left hand because Satan eats and drinks with his left hand here we are saying you know uh, it's my right hand it's some people they only point their finger on the ground and this is something from Guyana to Mindanao. It's not just here. It's from Guyana, South America, to Mindanao, Southern Philippines. When I mention this to people when we sit in gatherings and everybody's grabbing with the left hand, I say, brothers, 
the right. The right, the right is dirty, you know. I said, brother, are you, are you going to take this glass home with you? <laughs> or is the glass going to get washed? Yeah, it's going to get washed. So then, what's the problem? Take it with your right hand and drink it. But just think, you know in the time of the Sahaba, no one did that. No one would even dare to think to do that. If Shaitan tried to put the idea in their mind, it was rejected. Unthinkable that somebody would actually drink with his left hand when Rasulullah said, do not drink with your left. Unthinkable. In the time of the Sahaba, in the time of the Tabi'i, the Tabi'i and Tabi'i, generations are going by. Nobody would dare to do it. But somewhere along the line, Shaitan got to somebody or bodies and convinced them that it's better to drink with your left hand instead of your dirty right hand and just cover it up with the help of your right hand. And they began. And think, from that beginning, it spread over the whole Ummah. Until now, it's taken as normal. It's, you know, it, it seems to be the norm. In fact, if you saw somebody picking up his glass with his right, dirty right hand, greasy right hand, you think, oh, not very sociable. <laughs> not maintaining confidence. You look at it as not good. Shaitan beautified that in the minds. So if it can happen on that lower level, don't be surprised that it's happening on the level of riba and other major acts of disobedience. So we have to revive the Ummah, bringing it back to the Quran and the Sunnah. Simple. Not complicated. The Prophet left it in clear terms. Doesn't require philosophy, logical arguments, etc. Very simple. Prophet told us, I left with you two things. In the bihima, if you hold on firmly to both of them, you will never Kitabullah, the book of Allah, was sunnati and my sunnah. So this is the way we need to go. This is the way the madhab that was followed by Omar. The madhab followed by Omar, by Uthman and by Ali, and by Abu Hanifa and Malik and the Ahmed ibn Hanbal and the Shafi, all of them followed the same Mahal. Because as, as Islam is one, as Islam is one, there is only one Madhab. And that is what all of the great scholars of Islam sought. And we should follow their way. We call it Madhab, it was called Sunnah. Sunnah means way, the way of the Prophet. Madhab means way, the way of the Prophet. So, 
I pray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us the success to come together and work as an ummah united to address the problem which faces our youth, our society, our community, and to do it collectively. To join hands with the Islamic Online University in achieving this goal worth sacrificing sacrificing our time, our wealth, our energies for the sake of the Ummah. I know you might think when you hear that the Islamic Online University has, if you go to the website, there is a ticker going on indicating when new students join and you'll see more than a hundred students join every day. The total number was not 190,000, it was when that article was written. It's over 200,000. And I'm sure you're thinking, well, 200,000, if each one pays just $10, Dr. Bilal is a millionaire. <laughs> but why doesn't he just come and provide all of this for us? Well, the truth of the matter is that of the 200,000 students, studying in our university. 195,000 of them study for free. They don't pay any fees at all. So it is the university of the people for the Ummah. I'm not a millionaire or anywhere near it. I'm a poor striving to be a believer like the rest of you. So let us join together and serve the Ummah in the best way that we can. And I ask Allah to accept it and give us success to fulfill. Barakallahu feekum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa